Rachel Coley here with Ari Meglin, and we're your hosts for the Mighty Writer podcast. We're on episode 136, and this week's question is, how do you write a query letter? Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss a show. And if you enjoy our episode, please give it a like, write a review, and share it with your friends. Now, please help us welcome author Brandon Greer to the show. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. That's great. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your writing background, how long you've been writing, when you started, things like that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been writing more seriously, I think, since about the early 2000s. Um, I had a little bit more writing when I was in school, things like that, but it hasn't been something that I've had a passion for since kind of later in life, but I've really been serious about it over the last 10 years. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to, to get as good as, as I can and going to conferences, things like that, just to, to learn the craft and, and writing the books that I want to read. That's great. Cause usually when we have people on almost everyone's like, oh, well, I was about three and I started writing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of nice hearing people doing it like further on, like not straight away and like getting interested in writing like that. Yeah. Um. I've always been interested in, in the arts. Regardless, when I was really young, I, I loved drawing and I thought I was going to be a, an artist, but that didn't work out. You know, in high school, I changed from, from loving drawing. I got into drama and choir and, and acting and things like that. But I like the arts and being creative and doing something in that field. Wow, that sounds like you did actually like touch on quite a lot of different creative avenues. Huh. Interesting. So with all of that said, we'll just dive right into the topic. Normally, we would explain what it is, but since Brandon's here, we're going to have him explain it all to you guys. So my first question for you is, what exactly is a query letter? Yeah, for a lot of people, I think a query letter is a different type of thing. I've worked with a lot of people who, when, when asked that, they come up with all kinds of different answers. But in essence, a query letter is a sales pitch or an example of your writing ability to another reader. And in this case of a query letter to a literary agent or a publisher who is hoping, or at least you are hoping, will like your work enough to want to read more. And yeah, in a nutshell, you know, that's a query letter. I think um, query letters, it, that was one of the first things that I had started teaching myself when I started writing, because at the time, self-publishing wasn't as big as it is so I thought I had to get an agent or that I just needed to go straight to a publisher but in most cases you need an agent and I remember doing research upon research upon research about query letters what they are and how to write one and how to write it a good one and so on and so forth so I do have a little bit of experience with query letters but once I started dabbling in self-publishing and I realized that I could just, you know, do most things myself, I kind of fell off of that wagon and decided that, you know, I'm going to go the self-publishing route. But in a way, I feel like you still need a query letter because, as you said, it is kind of like your elevator pitch and you're trying to hook other readers into what it is and uh, 
well into your book, I should say, not what it is. It's your work. But it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it it's really hard. And you said you went through like all the research and I spent hours and hours and hours pouring through uh, websites and blogs and other people's experiences with query letters. And the one thing that I found that was just so infuriating to me is every single one that I found said, hey, this is how I wrote my query letter. It worked. So this is how you have to write your query letter. But the problem is every single author is different. Every single book is different. And on the flip side of that, every publisher, every agent is different. And so you can't just follow one person's guide to how they wrote it or else it's going to fail. Because I that's what I tried to do in the beginning is keep my style exactly how somebody else did. You know, I would look into J.K. Rowling and how she first um, sold Harry Potter. And I think she had a great um, a great query letter. And you can definitely take stuff out of that to make a query letter better, but you can't just rely on exactly how somebody else did it because their style is not your style. And if you're not trying to sell yourself in your own voice, it doesn't really work as well. And then when you send writing, they can tell, okay, the query was a lot different, but it doesn't sound like what I'm getting from your pages. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I hate those kinds of articles where it's like, this is what worked for me, so you have to do this as well, or else nothing's going to work for you. And I think it's especially hard when you're first starting out because you do believe that. You see those types of articles and you're like, oh, this person really knows what they're doing because it worked for them, so maybe it'll work for me too. And I cannot tell you how many times I Googled query letter templates. And I'm not saying that templates are necessarily a bad thing, but as you just said, I think you you need to take bits and pieces from what other people do and make it your own. And over time, you'll get into your own groove with it. Yeah, and through all of my um, my research on studying query letters, I was actually able to put together a type of, I won't say template, I like to use the word recipe on creating a effective query letter. Yeah, but that's after almost years of, of looking into different query letters and how everyone says everything. You know, I just kept finding these little things that, that I'm like, oh, that will work, that could work. And then as um, I helped critique other people's query letters, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try and take some of these things that I thought about and put it into practice. And one example I have is I was helping a fellow writer work through her query letter, which when she brought it to me, she would admit this, this query letter is garbage. And I've submitted it to so many people and I never get any kind of request or anything. And so we sat down for a while and we went through it and I, I'm like, okay, I've read about these things and these things, I've done this in my own, but that's, that's kind of do a Frankenstein monster with this query and and get it to where it needs to go. And we really fixed it up with some of the things that I was working on. And she ended up getting over 30 requests. So yeah, I found out after helping her that, you know, there can be a formula, but it has to leave room for the writer's own voice. It has to, to give way for their personality and not just doing it how somebody does it. That's amazing, actually. And I, I have to throw in a, a quick like side question for you. When you help people with their query letters, do you read their books first or do you just go in it completely blind and pretend that you know, you're know you the agent 
and you take your own experience and decide, okay, if I were an agent and you sent me this, these are the red flags. Well, I kind of do it the second way. I don't read the book. I don't have any knowledge of the story, but what I'll do is I'll first read the query that they've written and I'll be like, okay, what makes sense to me and what doesn't? And then I'll look at the criteria that I have for a query letter. And then my next step is to work with the author and be like, okay, I have this list of questions based on what I read and based on what I think I might want to know. And then by them answering those questions, I'm able to help rewrite the query based off my criteria that, that makes it flow a lot better and is more attractive to a reader. Because the problem is with query letters, as writers, we are used to using as many words as possible to get a story across. But when you write a query letter, I mean, you want 250 words, almost maximum, to, to get the story across. And we're not good at that as writers. We're like, ah, I'll go 100,000 words if I need to, 120,000. You know, if we're just writing a short story, I'll go up to 10,000 words. But limiting that down to so few really trips up a lot of writers. I have to say, I love that. We do always do so many more. And we're always a bit more descriptive and floaty and I remember um, when I was doing my degree I couldn't recollect the concept of stopping the descriptive and being informative because <laughs> my degree when I was doing it it was in science so obviously you don't put descriptive words in science it's clear concise and it took so much effort to have to go through and be like nope can't have that word can't have none of this means anything and obviously as you said you're so used to like plumping it up with, with all these extra words and and like painting the picture and that's not what you're supposed to do but I actually think what you said about not reading the book is a really good idea because I think maybe if you read the book and then did the query letter I think it would actually go worse because you'd be aware of everything whereas not reading it and going in blind then you can be like well I don't understand what this book's about or I don't understand why I should care about these characters or why this book should be in the market so that makes a lot more sense well the the funny thing is is I write horrible query letters for my own books and the reason is I know it so well and that's what trips up oh I think this is important when to a reader who has never heard of the story, they just read the query, they're probably thinking, well, I probably didn't need to know that. And so when I'm looking at a query letter, I have no knowledge because it helps it. I, I don't know the book, so it helps me have a fresh set of eyes on it. When I write my own queries, I have to take it to a lot of other people. And I'm just like, you know what, tear this apart because I'm too invested in this one. I think that's good advice in itself but I think I know for a lot of fact a lot of people that I know who want to be traditionally published and do go through query letters it's this fear of how to do it and it's like you know you've got to hook people in and it's like right in the first chapter you've got to be able to hook people in and keep them interested it's the same sort of concept but I know it can be quite overwhelming, especially for new writers. So with that said, what elements should you include in a query letter? What's the best thing to definitely include in a query letter? 
Okay, I think the first thing, I've got three things that I think need to be in every query letter. And these are kind of broad. So you have to really look at it and think about it as you're going through it. But the first is an element of sympathy, especially for your main character. And you have to be able to, well, you have to get it across in the first sentence. So the reader automatically, after that first sentence is done, uh, they, they understand the writer, not the writer, the, the, the main character. They kind of have to have a feeling or thought about what they're going through and something to relate to. Because if you don't, then the reader's not gonna care as much. I've noticed in a lot of queries where people will start out talking about a, a thing that happened long ago when the, the backstory, and it's not what a literary agent or a publisher wants. They wanna know, okay, who am I rooting for? Why should I care about them? And that's a hard thing I think for a lot of, of authors is because we do so much world building. We want people to know, oh, this world is amazing. This, this story background is amazing, but a reader cares about that main character and why they should care. What's gonna get me emotionally invested to this character? And you have to do that in a sentence or two. And that's very hard. Uh, the second thing that is a must in any query letter is mystery. And when I first start talking about mystery, people don't understand what I mean. And I tell them, you know, you need to have unanswered questions, not in the way that you go through the query letter and you write questions and just don't answer them, but you write your sentences in such a way that the reader's like, okay, I understand that they're going through that, but why? Um, let me see if I can find a real quick example, because I use, um, J.K. Rowling's version of her query letter for Harry Potter a lot. So the first sentence for Harry Potter's query is, Harry Potter lives with his aunt, uncle, and cousin because his parents died in a car crash, or so he has been told. So in your very first sentence, you give kind of a situation that Harry is in, and then you add that mystery to it. So Y'all, you already automatically wonder, okay, what's his family like, his aunt and uncle and cousin, and what really happened? So right there, you're feeling some kind of sympathy for Harry because his parents are dead, and there's mystery there. You want to know, okay, what's going on? And so building that sympathy and mystery from the very get-go allows you to have that flow into your story that, that the reader is now hoping, okay, when I get to the next sentence, I hope that I learn more and what you want to do is you want to give a little bit of information away but then keep building on that mystery and sympathy so the rest of this sentence or the the query goes the Dursleys don't like Harry asking questions in fact they don't seem to like anything about him especially the very odd things that keep happening around him which Harry himself can't explain and so right there you get so much mystery and sympathy for Harry that drives the reader to want to know more. And J.K. Rowling did a great job in constructing the first part of her query letter. And I use it as an example because I do, um, I've taught a few lessons at writers' conferences about query letters. And this is always the one that I go back to because I think she did it beautifully. I have to admit, I've never seen her query letter and I have never read Harry Potter. 
So it was actually interesting listening to that and hear <laughs> and hearing how she started it and hearing those like as you said the mystery parts of like oh wonder how that happens and what happens with that but it's not something I would have thought about doing on a query letter and I think what you said about how people often do the whole information about the backstory that's another writer issue isn't it because we really love laying foundation mm -hmm. And again, it's same with the first chapter. You got to stop that info dumping. And I think sometimes you can stop yourself from doing it in the first chapter and then you just do it in a query letter. It's almost like, well, I couldn't do it in the first chapter. I'll do it in the query letter. It'll be fine. But yeah, it makes sense not to include all the information that you don't need and go straight to the most important, the main character. Yeah, the one thing that I like to begin every query letter with is a question. And I think to myself, okay, what is my main character doing right now? What do they want in life and what do they want to achieve if the inciting incident of the story never happens? And that's how I'd like to start my beginning because it's somebody in their natural life. Nothing has changed yet. This is how their life is just going to go if nothing changes. And I think for a lot of us, we get into these stories where our actual story is a little bit humdrum, a little bit boring, a little bit despairing almost until that inciting incident happens and that's something else that can build that that sympathy but also if an inciting incident is going to change things so much there are little elements of the past that you can drop in there to make it interesting like where she says um they she his parents died in a car crash or so he has been told which hints at definitely something else in the past that's going to come forward again and change everything. I have to admit, I I really like the way that she wrote her query letter, but as someone who has read Harry Potter and seen the movies, when you read that first sentence out loud, I was like, oh, the, the aunt and uncle killed the parents, even though I know what the, the movies and the books are about and stuff like that. But I I was like, that would have been really cool if it turned out that the aunt and uncle ended up killing the parents. And if I heard that query letter, I would actually be disappointed that that's not what happened at all. But yeah. as a murder mystery writer, that's where my mind goes. But yeah, I do can... agree with you on everything that you've you've just said. Um, a lot of times, like I I like starting things with questions and having that mystery element to it because you do want to keep your readers guessing and you do want them to want to know what's going to happen next or what everything is all about. Yeah, a lot of readers, especially with mystery writers, um, not mystery writers, mystery readers, they like to be able to think that they can guess what's going to happen because they want to, at some point and in some way, they like the predictability of some of these, but then when they get that twist that they weren't expecting, it's just like the icing on top. Right, exactly. But bouncing off of that, you said that you like to start with a question and things like that. So my next question is, should you have different versions of your query letter, even though you, you tend to have like favorite pieces or favorite components of a query letter? Should you have different versions of it? Yes, definitely. I think you have to have different versions and and you need to have different versions because each time you write a query letter, you're going to find something else about it that you like. So what I I ask people to do is write at least three versions of their query letter. And you do it in different ways. When you're writing the beginning of your, your query, you're trying to add some kind of setting. 
whether it be an emotional setting, a mental setting, or a physical setting. And most characters will have at least two or three different settings they're working through. Um, you could have somebody who is going to middle school and they're getting bullied and they don't like that. So you could talk about that aspect or you can talk about the, the, um, the emotional aspect of it, the emotional situation and begin there. And so you can actually write a few different versions about the same story that really bring different uh, feelings to each query letter. So what I tell um, the people I'm working with is you need to write a query letter, at least three, kind of from different starting points from that different um, setting, and then see what you like about each one. And this is where I tell them you need, to, you need to play Frankenstein here and really break them apart and take, you know what, I like this part in query number one, let's put that with this one in query, query number three, and you could end up having five or six query letters. Um, but then you'll also want to write a different letter, a different query letter based on what a publisher or a literary agent may want. Because you might write high epic fantasy and a literary agent says, I rarely touch that, but in the right circumstances, usually this is what I take, you know, something more um, that has a, a character driven. You can take your high fantasy and you can make a query that is completely high fantasy, or you can change it and make it, I just want this query to be character driven instead of high fantasy. So you can take out the, um, the fantasy altogether and just tell us, okay, what is the situation that the character himself or herself has to overcome? And you have two completely different query letters in that case about the same book, which when you read it, you'll know, okay, yeah, I can see all of that, but they feel completely different. So I think it's very important that you understand your book on enough levels that you can write more than one query letter. Understand your book on enough levels. That's that's a really good quote, and I'm gonna have to remember that because uh, I think, yeah, as writers, when when we write our books, we see it we see it from so many different angles, but at the same time, we have like the same thought on just on our book. Like we don't really think the whole big picture. Like we have we have outlines and we have notes, but when it comes to the story as a whole, when it's all put together, I think that's all we view it as. So I really like how, I really think that's sound advice to look at it from an emotional perspective, to look at it from a character-driven perspective. And you have to look at it from all these different angles and really know your book inside and out. Yeah, and you definitely have to learn how to, to take a step back as well and try to view it with outside eyes. Because like I said before, if, if it's your book, you're gonna be way too deep into it. You're gonna understand it on a level that nobody else does which means that you can write it in a way that could possibly be very confusing to another reader, which why one of my biggest tips to write a good query letter is you have to do two things. You have to be willing to let as many people critique your query letter as possible, and you have to be willing to critique as many other queries as possible, because that gives you the option and the opportunity to see how other people do it, which you can then take into to how you do it as well. But um, like they say, the biggest um, teaching experience to be a writer is to read. So the best experience uh, for learning how to write a query letter 
is to see a lot of other query letters and understand how they're being put together. That's interesting because obviously as writers, we spend a lot of time on our own, but there is still quite a good community out there, especially on social media, some social media, I should say. And we often hear about the thing like, you know, be a beta reader, be a critique partner, but you don't often hear about being a critique partner for a query letter. I mean, I almost never see anything like that. I think I've seen one writer who mentioned in passing that their book and their query letter were checked on by their beta readers, but it almost never gets mentioned. And I think there is this sensation or this idea in the writing community that the query letter is just yours. You just do it. That's something you have to do. Once your book is sorted, you go and write your query letter and you're kind of on your own to do that. So well, and that, yeah. that's a, it's a little dumb to think that because Honestly, if you want a literary agent or if you want a publisher, the query letter in that aspect is so much more important than your book. So if you want however many people to read your book to make sure it's ready, then you need to get at least 10 times more people to look at that query letter because it's so short, one page, more people are going to be willing to read it. I mean, that's, that's what you have to polish that's what's going to get somebody else to say, yes, I want to read more or say, oh, this is just garbage, let's throw it away. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It's just, it's it's not something that I ever see pushed much. I, it, despite the fact that a lot of writers out there still want to be traditionally published, so obviously need to find literary agents, need to speak to publishers. And if that's your first foot in the door, it's so important, as important as the first chapter that has to grab them. And yet it's not pushed. There isn't this kind of, don't forget, you need lots of people to look at your query letter. So how many young writers especially are out there who don't even think that that's a thing? And the idea of asking people, could you read my query letter? Doesn't even cross their minds. Yeah, I'm trying to get my foot in the door at writers conferences. Um, I've been teaching on query letter writing just as a 50 minute course, but I wanna do like a three hour intensive um, query letter writing workshop where part of that is, okay, now we are going to learn how to critique other people's query letters because it is such a big part of what we're doing as writers. That sounds like it would be great. Uh, I think it's amazing that you you took what, what you know from your own query letter writing and your own experience and research and you're teaching other writers to do it because as Ari said, I don't really see many people talking about query letters that often either. And I think part of it is that I'm so far on the other side of publishing that, you know, I'm on the self-publishing side of things where we don't typically need query letters because we're not looking for agents. But it is still so important. I mean, it's it's very similar to having people look at your, your book's blurb and have people like give their opinion on that and stuff. A, a query letter is no different. It's still just as important, especially if it's if you're pitching it to somebody who knows the field and knows what they're doing. Well, and even learning how to write a good query letter, even if you're self-published completely and you're not gonna really query out the book, you have to um, understand that writing a query letter is going to teach you how to pitch your book which means somebody comes up to you hey tell me what your book's about if you haven't practiced your blurb or your query like I've always done and like every other author that doesn't have the experience you're just going to ramble on till the point that they're just like okay 
see you later. And yeah, query letter writing, even if you're not wanting to be traditionally published is incredibly important because it teaches you how to sell your book. That is so awesome to know. It's because obviously I've always heard the whole elevator pitch, learn the elevator pitch. And it is really hard. Condensing your 100,000 word novel down to like a sentence or a paragraph or a blurb is already difficult enough. So I think the advice of writing query letters or trying query letters, even if you're self-published, is actually really good. And I'm going to add that to my list of things I need to do because I do not do that. And I hate talking about my book, and I, which is really unhelpful. And I would probably be either witter on or more likely assume everything's spoiler and not say anything because I've done that as well where it's like oh I can't say anything because I'll give all the secrets away and it's like there's not that many secrets so yeah I think I better start looking at doing more query letters well and a very important part about query letters is you want to get in there where you give away something kind of big but not all of it I mean that's going to be the driving factor of the book. When, when I'm writing a query letter, I break it out into three sections. The first section is, okay, my character. Why you should care about my character, what their life is like right now. Then the next is my inciting incident. What's going to change and what complications are coming because of that change. And then the last is my revelations and risks. Revelations is, okay, here's like a big plot point. This is what they have to do. And this is what happens if they don't achieve that. So you definitely want to end a query letter with a good revelation. So almost a spoiler, but not quite. But then that big risk in what's going to happen if they completely fail. That's actually really good to know the way you broke it down into three pieces. As you were saying that, I was sort of slotting in my own novel pieces going, oh, yeah, OK, that would be that part. And that, OK, that would be that part. So that's actually quite a good layout just thinking of it in those three sections, those three elements alone is really good. Yeah, it, it helps when you really break it down, like even into smaller chunks, uh, which is what I try to do is just get even just, okay, I wanna tell you about the character and I've worked out a formula or that recipe where it's just like a formula where you input data and then you build on it with your own voice. So it's not one of those things where I say, okay, read my query letter and do it exactly like that. It's like, no, take these, these ingredients, we'll say. And like the one thing that I, that I do is I talk about a query letter being like the smell of a cookie and the book is the cookie itself. But to create what you want, you have to use the right ingredients. You have to make it taste right and smell right. And so each query letter has to have the right ingredients and every single query letter that you ever read will have the same ingredients it's just like if you make cookies there i don't know how many types of cookies in the world but if you just look at the recipe other than a few different things on how to mix them or what to do a lot of the ingredients are identical and so it's the same thing with query letters you just have to to figure out how to put all of them together into the cookie that you want it to be Great, now I just want to eat cookies. <laughs> I've just really eaten like that before, though. <laughs> I always, like, when I uh, saw your, your book about query letters and I saw the cover, for a minute it caught my eye because I was like, why, why are 
why is there flour and dough on the cover when we're talking about query letters? But hearing you say that, it, it makes so much sense, especially, I, I like the metaphor that you use because there are so many different types of cookies out there. And even though you have the same ingredients for all the query letters, they're all gonna produce different types of books and different messages to whoever is reading it. Cause I mean, you can, create two different batches of chocolate chip cookies but one's probably going to come out a little more crunchier than the other batch because you accidentally left it in for a minute longer like everything it all it all depends and it's all perspective and i really like that <laughs> makes a lot of sense yeah and i just love cookies yeah if yeah. You, um, yeah the one thing that i really like that i that i had fun with and i'll show you this real quick if you're just listening you can't see this but i um I include a cookie recipe. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. <laughs> so writing a query letter is hard, so you might as well eat cookies while you're doing it. Yeah, that's a good point. I like yeah. that. Perfect. <laughs> Can never go wrong with cookies, seriously. <laughs> I could just talk about cookies all the time. My wife always, <laughs> when we're discussing things and I'm learning Spanish and things like that and everything, even in English or Spanish, let's give me an example, cookies. Cookies are always my example for everything. Keeping it consistent, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's just so funny because I just remembered I've got some cookie dough downstairs that I've never used. And it's like, I'm probably gonna have to go make cookies after this episode because I'm just <laughs> constantly thinking about them now. So that's very good. That's a very sneaky way of doing it. Yeah. But with that said, let's go to our, our, I'll say a last question, but we could throw another one at you. When should you begin writing your query letter? Uh, that's a loaded question because it can change all of the time. A lot of people want to, they think they need to write a query letter before they start writing it, which isn't a bad idea. The only thing is you're not going to be able to write a, a complete or a accurate query letter. The thing is, you will be able to start building your story. It's It could be the beginning of a, of a good outline. If you outline or if you don't outline, uh, you know how that process is. But a query letter, you take things that you want to put in that in that story, and then you build on it. Of course, as we're writers, even if we outline the crap out of what we're doing, there's still so much discovery as we're writing, and it's going to change. So you can write a query before you write your book, but it's not going to be complete until you're done. Because one of the biggest things that you have to put in that query letter, like I said before, is the risk of failure. And sometimes you're not going to know that until you get through the book completely. But trying to write a query letter before you start writing is a great way to, to help you understand where you want the story to go. So even if you're not a complete outliner, it gives you a direction. I was at a signing a couple of weeks ago and I met with this guy who, he was writing a book with a, another group of writers and they could never get the story where they wanted it to go. They said, yeah, we'll write, we'll get it to like 10, 15 chapters, but we always stop because we don't know where it's going. And one thing that I'll always tell people like that, okay, if you don't know where it's going, sit down for a while and think, where do I want this to end and then build backwards and you can do the same thing with a query letter okay how do I want it to end so I can translate into the risk of failure and then kind of 
work your way backwards. Um, in a lot of cases, I don't know if you do mazes like in the newspaper or whatever, I've always found it easier to go backwards from the finish than from the start. And you know, sometimes that's the same way with writing a query or outlining your book is know where you want it to end possibly before you know where it begins because at least then you'll have a destination. And sometimes that destination is more important than the beginning. I totally agree with that. I usually write my ending first. I usually have plot point ideas when I start. That's how it comes. It comes in like scenes. I get random scenes of like, oh, what if this happened? Or what if that? But I almost always get my ending before I get my beginning. I don't know where we start, but I always know the ending. And then when I get the beginning, and it's usually that kind of three quarters of the way where it starts to get a bit messy if I don't fully outline. But I think the once or twice when I haven't had an ending, I've not even been able to get through the book. I've not, I've just kind of stumbled, even with half an outline or try, you know, I don't know where it's going. But when I have an ending, it's so much easier to know which path you've been through. So, yeah. Yeah, the first book, the first novel that I tried to write, I had no idea where it was going. I didn't know the ending. I didn't outline. It was my first one. I'm like, okay, all I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down. And I'm just going to free write, just discovery write everything. And when I get to a part that I don't know what's going to happen, I'm going to go into another part. And then when I thought I was finished, the ending was horrible, but I was reading through it. And I'm like, wait, I missed huge gaps of my story. Just because I was just trying to do it all off the cuff. And I'm just like, I wrote half the book. Great. I feel like we've all been there. <laughs> I think most people start as discovery writers it's like I don't think I've known many writers who the first thing they have the first time they've ever tried to write they outlined they may have plotted a bit but I think almost everyone tries the whole it'll just come in waves it's fine as I write it'll you know it's like watching the road appear as you're driving up and down hills it's like there it is as you write and yeah I have I have a lot of story ideas and scenes like thousands of scenes for books when I was free writing <laughs> and eventually I'll go back and I'll start putting outlines and start slotting things in but honestly it's so much more difficult I know there are obviously there are pantses out there and we're not having to go pantses but yeah it's it seems like it does take a lot more effort if you're if you're free writing than if you are sort of working to an outline and I think nowadays especially with all the the beat sheets and the seven point plot outlines and there's so many ways of outlining or even just getting the basics down to give you an idea of like point one, point two, point three, inciting incident, midpoint, end, to get you sort of from A to B to C, it makes it a lot easier. So yeah, yeah. I think I think I completely overdo it on outlines now. They can be like an eighth of the length of the actual novel. I'm just like, man, I gotta stop outlining and start writing. Yep, I do the same thing. And then I and then I outline while I write the book too, so that I keep up with the outline and make sure everything's up to date. And then yeah, it ends up being its own project pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I'll have four outlines per book. I'll be like, okay, basic idea, more structured idea, full book outline, chapter by chapter outline. Yes, the chapter by chapter <laughs> outline. I definitely have that for every book. Yep. <laughs> Wow, no, no, I do not do that. That's that sounds very stressful. It's, but then again, I don't write by chapters. I write by scenes. And then at the end of the book, I start slotting chapters in. That's how I do it. So I couldn't do 
chapter outlines because I don't have chapters until the end. See, uh, I have to do chapter outlines so that way I remember like what happens where everything is like because I write mystery so there are times where it's like okay so and so's testimony was told to the reader in chapter six you know like I have to know that I really need to narrow it down. Yeah, I've got way too many character names yeah. and places they're going. And I used to write with Scrivener, and I'm not sure if you use that program. It's very good, but I would go between my um, desktop and my laptop with an SD card, and it started not saving stuff between, and I kept losing stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'm giving up on Scrivener. But yeah, I have to do like so much outlining now, and it's fun. <laughs> I don't think you would think it's fun, but that's where my discovery comes from. And so the outlining and the brainstorming process is incredibly fun for me. I feel like outlining could be like a whole nother podcast episode because <laughs> yeah. I could go on and on about it as well. I'll end with in, and I wrote a book about query letters and I end with six tips on how to um, really write a good query letter. And so we've kind of covered them, but I just want to make sure that all of your listeners, you know, have those tips to write a good query letter. Uh, the first is, again, write at least three versions of your query letter. If you can do that, you're going to come up with a better query letter than you would if you just try and polish one. Tip two is with when you're done, you have to edit like crazy because yeah, like I said, we're writing 80 to 60,000 words, 80,000 words, 100,000 words. And if you can shoot for 200 words in a query letter that's just the, the book portion, yeah, that's going to be the best. So you got to really work on whittling it down. 200 words would be a, a great goal to hit for that. Uh, tip three is a big one. Never, ever trust yourself. Never write a query letter and think, oh, this is great. So I said, you got to have a community and you have to have people read your query letter. Because again, you are going to know your story on a level that nobody else does. And you're going to put in information that just does not need to be there. Tip four, read and critique other query letters. Hugely important so you can understand how other people do it. You'll see how they do it right. You'll see how they do it wrong and it will help you learn that craft better. Um, tip number five, and this is for every writer, get ready for rejection because nine out of 10 times, sometimes 10 out of 10 times, that rejection is coming. So just get ready for it, get used to it, grow that thick skin. Tip six is learn who Angie Hodap is. If you've never heard that name, she works for the Nielsen Literary Agency. And a lot of the information that I got on query letters was from her. I was able to um, study her uh, query information a lot along with a lot of others, but she has great tips, great tricks for writing query letters and she's amazing. And the funny thing is, is I went to a writer's conference once where she was, listening to pitches for as an acquisitions editor for the literary agency. 
And I was so nervous because she was the one that I went to for all of my query writing advice. And I think this is the, the pinnacle of my query letter writing research is when I pitched to her and she said, that was a good pitch. That was a good query. And I was like, I've made it, I'm done. So yeah, those are my, my tips for writing a good query letter. I'm gonna applaud you right now for uh, pitching to her. That's good for you. That's <laughs> that's amazing. And what a great response you got for her from her. Yeah, they rejected the book, but she said it was a good query. Hey, yeah, that's half the battle. So, <laughs> so thank you for those final tips. All very helpful. This whole episode has been very enlightening, um, especially for me. So with that said, it really has been awesome to have you on the show. Would you like to share anything about yourself to our listeners? I do have, I've been very blessed to be um, a published author and I've been published twice this year. My second release actually comes out today, which I'm super excited for. Um, I am a young adult and middle grade fantasy author. And I love magic, but I love stories about people turning themselves around, second chances, redemption, and finding yourself. And so that's kind of what the stories I write are uh, revolving around. Um, I wrote a book called The Clandestine Queen, which will be a trilogy. Um, it's a lot of fun. I won't give away too much because we don't have a lot of time, but I'm excited to say that that one is a Reader's Choice Award nominee for an award called the Whitney Award. And that means a lot. So thanks for reading. If you've ever read my stuff, I don't know if you have. I don't know. Um, and then I have a book coming out today called Liam Lewis and the Summer Camp Curse, which won't be today when you're listening to this podcast, but it was today. Today. Um, yeah, that's a middle grade fantasy novel, and it is a lot of fun. So yeah, and then I wrote a book called Query Letters Made Simple, where I really outline the process of writing a query letter, and I go into much deeper detail about all of my tips and the process for writing an effective query letter. Well, congratulations on your new release, and um, thank you for sharing all of that. All of Brandon's links will be in the description below, so be sure to go check them out. And thank you again for joining us on the podcast. It really has been a delight. But now yeah. we're going to turn it over to you guys. Will you be querying your manuscripts or have you ever queried before? We'd love to chat about it. So tell us your answers in the comments below. And if you want more of the Merry Writer podcast, then be sure to follow us on Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for as little as $1 a month, you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Merry Writer podcast for bonus content. Helps keep the show going. So we really appreciate the support. But in the meantime, you guys can tune in every Wednesday for a new episode of the Merry Writer podcast where we ask all the right questions. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Stuffed Bookshelves. Our TBR pals are huge. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.